0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Draft Deeper on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Thank you so much for joining us. On this lovely Monday morning, thank you for making us one of your first podcast listens of the week. We certainly love coming at you on a Monday because we get to kind of talk about a little bit of what happened the prior week. We get to be the first voices on the podcast feed doing that. We also get to talk about a little bit of our writing, what we're diving deep into, hence the name Draft Deeper. I'm back. My name is Nathan Grubel. You you obviously know me as the host of Draft Deeper, but maybe you don't because I've been gone for a little (laughs) bit. I've been I've been sick. I've been in and out, moving into my new house, so I've been in and out a little bit. But I am the founder of the Draft Deeper podcast, and now that we're on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed, thank you so much for joining us here in this newer spot. We've been here for a few months, and joining me on tonight's podcast is not Stephen Gillespie. Stephen is uh dealing with some of the illness that i've been dealing with over the last few weeks i know maxwell baumbach who is with me tonight is uh been dealing with the sickness a little bit and thankfully my longtime producer kevin black is is still here with us tonight as well so we have we have three of the four usual team i feel like we're
1: we're playing musical chairs maxwell trying to get everybody on a podcast how are you doing tonight i'm i'm doing as well as i can i'm doing much better than i was earlier <laughs> in the week i still want to apologize to, like the video feed people like you're going to see me blowing my nose a little bit uh but on the plus side like i think being sick mutes a little bit of the chicago accent so we can that's a, that's a good thing i might sound a little less nasally for a change so we'll take it we'll take it you we got ha- the good with the bad Look we have new
0: for a reason so that, mm-hmm. that that's perfectly fine um, exactly and Matt Maxwell's looking clean shaven tonight if you're watching yeah. the video this podcast. This man is looking sharp. He is ready for a bomb podcast episode. Are you you ready to dive into what I think to be a few fun players? Some some top names, right? One intriguing name who we didn't expect to be in this conversation, but some some top names. Are you excited for this episode?
1: I'm really excited. I, I we're gonna get to kind of focus in on a couple guys a little bit, and they're all really interesting players with like big ramifications like everyone that we're going to talk about tonight is a very important piece of the 2023 draft Um, but they're still kind of I think out of sight out of mind in some senses between injury just being a late riser in the process like these are still guys that haven't been covered to death and haven't been talked about and are still under the radar even though like these are first round names so I'm really excited to go through this list. So normally
0: what we do here on Draft Deeper, in case you are relatively new coming in year 2023, listening to the podcast, normally we're covering what I write about on a weekly basis, which is my morning dunk column in which I go over last week's events. I try and hit on the big storylines related to the NBA draft. I'll give you some stock updates. I'll give you some games to watch. We try and break out some of the main topics of that column. And then what Maxwell does for the prospect overview, we're obviously talking about what he's writing about as well. And then Steven with his Weekend Warrior column. We try and combine all three of those recap columns into a neatly woven podcast show, which we're we're still technically doing that tonight. But because Maxwell and I have been in and out of the action, we haven't really gotten a chance to talk about what we wrote about last week. So that's really what we're going to be focusing on in this episode. If anyone's eager to hear me uh, babble on about my morning dunk column coming out this week in podcast form, trust me, that's coming. You're going to hear a lot of me on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed this week. I hope, I pray to God that you do not get sick and tired of hearing my voice <laughs> on this podcast feed. That that That's all I'll say about that. But like I said, we're going to rewind a little bit. So what I wrote about, coming into the new year, I, I wanted to, to kick off 2023 with a bang. And I was kind of looking, Maxwell, at some of the names that we haven't really written about in detail. And there was a big one that jumped out to me, and it was Nick Smith Jr. So Nick mm-hmm. Smith Jr., the Arkansas guard, six foot five guard, he has been in and out this season, right? He started off the year with a preseason injury. Then he came back, he played five games. Really, the sample size that you and I would want to focus on is about three games worth. and then and then he's out again he's out again he's he's trying to recover a little bit from right knee soreness I believe they're they're quote-unquote load managing that injury the latest details we actually got today the the day that we're recording this on January 8th Jeff Goodman put out a tweet saying that he's I believe he's recovering in Los Angeles right now right Mm -hmm. Maxwell I got the city
1: yep it was Los Angeles and I believe they said that he's Likely out for January, but they're like they're hoping for February even. was They are. They so So I think
0: the tail end of Jeff Goodman's tweet is that if he's a hundred percent, they want to bring him back in February. So his season may very well not be done, but I also put this column together thinking that if we only have these three true games to go off of for film purposes, right? What did we learn? What can we take away how can Nick Smith Jr.'s game translate to the NBA despite some of this concern we have about a lower body injury? Because, Maxwell, we, we've talked about it on a Draft Deeper enough. When you have a lower body injury, the recovery time, depending on what it is, can be incredibly long, right? and mm-hmm. You may not be yourself for a year, maybe like a year and a half. And so if you only have so much game film to go off of and then an NBA team has to make a decision about, well, are we are we getting the player we saw more of in high school? Is is the player we saw for these three games who Nick Smith's going to be? Can we even count on him to be like this, depending on what the medicals are coming back as? like There are so many questions that you and I certainly won't be able to answer because we're not looking at all that information, but we have three games of tape to go off of. So before I get into some of what I wrote in my column, I just want to ask you to start, Maxwell, just to, the, the the broad question, the high-level question before we start zooming in. What did you get to take away from him in those three games that we have on film right now? Do you view them as positive? Do you view them as negative? Or did they really not change your outlook on him as a prospect?
1: Yeah, he he kind of stayed where I had him. Um okay. it was a pretty neutral experience for me. I know that you all come here for the the piping hot takes, <laughs> and that's that's what no ceilings is all about now. Um to, yeah, to be we, honest, we really I, don't do the piping hot takes. No, 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 we keep it measured. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. That's that's why I think people like no ceilings. Is that we're not we're not takes uh, here that's no, right, no ceilings. Um uh, so okay, so I think there were some, some things that I expected, um, like just like defensively, like he tracks the ball well, um, like knows where his man and the ball are, not the most exciting defender, um, guys can get through his chest a little bit because he's not super strong not a guy who pressures the rim a ton offensively, mm-hmm. but he was better there than I expected him to be. Um, cause if you watch some of those high school all-star games, like when there was a ton of other land on the court, he kind of struggled with that in a lot of instances. So even though he wasn't getting there all the time, I thought the fact that in, again, like you can blame part of that on the lower body, body injury. Um, mm-hmm. I thought he did better there than I expected him to. Um, his release is really quick. He has some shiftiness to him. Really confident from long range, keeps his head up for teammates, moves it quick when need be, great eyes for the corners. Like, just generally, kind of what I expected. I would say the bigger, the big surprises to me were that he did as well as he did at the rim. And I think he shot it a, a little more poorly, especially like off the dribble than I expected. I thought that would be kind of a little further along. And I thought the finishing would be quite a bit behind what it was, even though he didn't get to the rim a ton. So he
0: didn't really get into this, I'm the superstar point guard. I'm going to take over the offense. I'm going to do every possible thing for Arkansas. We didn't see that type of guard. What we saw over those three games was a more complimentary player, right? Somebody who was willing to play off the ball, who was willing to do the little things. He'd catch and drive, catch and shoot. And his offensive attack was a little more simplified than I think everybody would have wanted to see. But what I found, Maxwell... I went back and I watched those three games I looked at the tape to write the column. I actually came away positively encouraged. If if okay. this is the player we're going to get in terms of Nick Smith jumping into the NBA at least right away in his rookie season, I feel pretty good compared to what I thought I would feel about the type of player that we're getting because I think the touch is real. And you go back and you watch some of his floater game when he gets 2 feet in the paint, man we talk about this, and, and it's actually a topic I'm going to bring up later with a few other players that we're going to talk about tonight. But soft makes, hard makes, how's that ball going through the net? Mm-hmm. When Nick Smith makes a shot, that shot's wet, man. Like that that ball yeah. is, is tickling the twine. It's not hitting the rim. I absolutely love that. And not only are we seeing that on his catch-and-shoot shots, on his deep attempts, we're seeing that on the runners as well. No, no hard clanks. He's not really hitting a lot of stuff off the back of the rim or, or the side of the backboard. Nick Smith, I believe, in my opinion, even though we only saw him make about 39% of his shot attempts overall, 30% for three-point range, I think he's he's going to be a really good shooter. I'm buying his mechanics. I'm buying the touch. I'm buying the whole package. I'm buying how he can relocate. You can run him off screens, get him off movement. He can set turn. He's balanced. He's knocking that shot in, I believe, in his pull-up game. I think we'll eventually get there again. He was working himself back from an injury. So it's not... It's not just that he wasn't the type of takeover guard that I think we would have wanted him to be as like a top five or a top six prospect. But there is a lot of talent on that Arkansas team, and especially when there's another guy in whose name is Anthony Black who needs the ball in his hands, who deserves to have the ball in his hands. Trying to figure out where he falls in all of that offensively right? while, while coming in in the middle of the season, I think that's a little bit more difficult than people would want to give – credit for and it's not always the most easy thing to do so i'm gonna give nick smith a little bit of a pass on that front but to me the shot making stuff looked good from the perimeter now you brought up the the game inside he did have one game where i believe it was 11 free throw attempts and mm-hmm. I think he was like 9 of 11 for the free throw line that's more of what we would want to see an aggressive driver somebody who could put that downhill pressure on the rim to open everything up for himself as well as all of his other teammates, we do want to see more of that stuff. But given that I think he's made a living as a pull-up shot maker, somebody who's much more perimeter-oriented than going inside, I think it was a mix of just comfort level, him trying to integrate himself within the offense, him making sure he's not stepping on anybody's toes, and then, oh, by the way, this is a knee injury that we're talking about. He probably doesn't have that full confidence in his knee to always want to be exploding towards the basket, going up and grabbing all these rebounds, battling in traffic. Like I- I'm definitely going to give Nick Smith a little bit of a pass on that front, but it is still something, Maxwell, that we do need to monitor because we- we've we talked about it in No Ceilings. You go back and review Nick Smith's high school tape. You were mentioning it even in some of like the All-Star games, the exhibitions you were watching. It hasn't been a strength of his, but I guess my question to you does he does he need to be this super amazing finisher at the basket uh. to still be an effective guard, depending on the, the position role he's playing in the NBA?
1: Yeah, no, I wouldn't say he needs it to be an effective guard. I would say he needs it to, like... If you're counting on him to be, like, an all-star, he mm-hmm. 100% needs it. Like, just given how high the bar is like if you just look at like how good a guy like donathan mitchell or somebody like that is playing this season like to be in if you're counting on him to be like in that elite tier of guard which i think some people coming into the year thought he might be Mm -hmm. um then it's going to be something that i think he needs to have in his bag if he is more that secondary option i think there are ways around it i think the fact that he does have like a really good floater and that's one of those things that didn't like grade out crazy well this year um but like having a potent floater is like a great yep. antidote for not being a equalizer who, who gets all the way to the rim. And like, I think he could eventually get to a point like with the touch, like you talked about, like there's a chance he just becomes an elite floater guy. Um, I don't think that's off the table at all for him. So I think there are ways around it. I think if, if that's the case as well, he needs to be really deadly from three point range. Like he can't, if, if we're talking about him as like a high end starting guard, then he needs to really be in like a, like a 38, 39% type of range on higher volume. Um, if you're talking about him in that echelon, if the rim finishing isn't there. So I think he can get away with it, but like the floater really needs to be there the outside shooting really needs to be there. If, you, if you're talking about him in that type of echelon, which is what I think teams are hoping for when you're drafting, like regardless of what a top seven pick typically turns into, like drafting at seven, you're not usually getting an all-star. Um, but that's what teams and fan bases expect um, a lot of times when they're drafting a guy there. So to like, get to get that kind of outcome, that's what we're looking at. To me, I think the ambidexterity
0: is is a little bit more of, of what very threw very concerning. Off. Yeah. Yes. So it's not just about getting downhill and attacking basket and applying the rim pressure, but it's also making sure that when you do get downhill, you have ways to be able to beat defenses with either hand right? Because NBA defenses are so good at taking away what you do. Well, they're going to make you do what's uncomfortable to you. And they're going to make Nick Smith go left. And when Nick Smith goes left, he has to have the confidence that if he gets all the way to the basket, he can get it up with his left hand, make that layup, put it down, whatever he needs to, or he needs to be comfortable with pulling up going left, as opposed to just kind of coming off a screen, going right, fading to his right. He needs to have that other part to his game there, which to me, that was the more concerning thing with what I saw on the tape. Like I highlighted in my column, for example, there was a play where he he caught the ball on the left wing, had a post up on a guard. He could have absolutely faked that guy out, went to his left. And I think the big man helping probably would have also been faked out and would have expected him to be going right. And he probably would have had that left completely open. He would have been able to turn, bank that shot in from the left side. Instead, he turns to the right side, goes to this now heavily contested floater, and it, it it's just not the type of look that we want to see Nick Smith taking. and that was that was just one example that mm-hmm. I pulled from the film. But overall, that to me, when we talk about guards in the NBA, it's it's not just that they're willing to get to the basket. They're also able to finish from a variety of angles. They're able to do the the up and unders, the reverses from different angles. all all of these different types of things are what we talk about when we ask the question, is the player a good finisher. So that to me is definitely a concern that, that you and I would want to highlight for his game. I do want to bring it back to a positive though, that I found. I actually was encouraged by some of the passing that I saw. I agree. I
1: have always been like way higher in his passing. than I feel like, like, cause I, I think we have people on the no Sun screw that like, don't view him as a point guard. Um, Correct. Which and I, I I
0: don't know if he's doing anything crazy as a passer, right? Like when we talk about like making basic reads versus making more advanced, like you're 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 able to see the the corner kick out for a mile away. You're able to do all these different types of skip passes to keep. Like I I don't I don't know if he's going to be able to or if he's going to hit all of those all the time in the NBA, right? Like if you're throwing the ball in his hands, you're expecting him to be like this thirty to thirty-five percent usage rate playmaker. I'm not sure that that's the type of role that you would want him to have, but as a secondary creator, like you talked about, like right, right, like bring him into a pick and roll action. He can make those basic reads at a pick and roll. He can hit the pocket yeah. pass. He can hit. He can hit at all these different angles, and I, and I think those basic reads are more or less what you want him to be able to do. And the other thing I noticed about it too, Maxwell, I'll let you talk about his passing. You mentioned. When we talk about driving and, and getting to the basket, that type of pressure creates angles for passing, right? To set up all those different attempts for everybody else. I think because of the shooting, and you even see it on the tape, he does have shooting gravity, which brings yeah, yeah, defenses yeah. towards him, especially in pick and roll sets, right? They, they want to double him to make sure he's not taking an easy jump shot and those types of opportunities. He can hit that pocket pass to the slipping roll, the, the slipping roll man, right? Like he can, he can hit guys when he brings that double, he can make the pass out of the double. That's more or less what I want to see from a Nick Smith Jr. Just don't don't lose the ball in those situations. Make enough shots to open up the rest of that pick and roll game when the double comes, hit the guy that you're supposed to. And and bam, done. Clean, clean, clean offensive possession, walk away with the two points or whatever it is. So that's what I'm encouraged about, That I saw those things from him
1: yeah so I I think I came out higher on his high school film as far as the passing like a lot of the stuff in Arkansas as far as like setting guys up was it was really straightforward like you said it's it's very just simple pick and roll it's a lob pass to a cutter who is wide open it's really straightforward but in high school I felt like he was able to see multiple reads you know out of a pick and roll and um was able to just be a little bit more creative and we didn't get to see that and part of it was just like sample size uh part of it was roll uh but i do think there's more than he got to show as a yep. passer um and if you're comparing him just to like other guards at the top of this class like he's not as creative out of the pick and roll as a guy like Keontae is like Keontae, like you set up a pick and roll for him like you really don't know what he's gonna do like you might split it he might reject the screen <laughs> well, like for they're... for better or worse you don't yeah, know exactly i was gonna, do, gonna but... say i think i trust him a little bit more than i trust Keontae in a pick and roll um but then like compared to like a case and wallace like i think it's like night and day like i don't think case and has like nearly the juice creatively as far as like setting up another teammate that nick smith does um and again a lot of that's going back to high school film so i hope that we can see him again just so that we can get a better feel for it but i think that there's more than he got to show yeah um and i think part of it too is that like the shooting was always a little iffy there like it was like trevon brazil and then, like, he was the other shooter. So it wasn't, like, an ideal situation as far as, like, oh, I can, like, spray this one out to the corner. Or I can, like, hit this guy in the slot with this if, if after I get all the way to the rim and don't like my look, and I can kick it back out. Like, it just wasn't a great situation uh, from that standpoint for him to show it off on top of the roll.
0: I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, though maxwell because that might be a point that you can touch on as well when we were talking earlier in the year about anthony black we were concerned about what type of shooter is he going to be how is he going to be able to space the floor this team was in dire need of shooting now you lose brazil mm-hmm. now you have anthony black who i i think he's been better than we expected but he's Way still badly, technically like yeah. as far
1: as the shooting yeah
0: he's still technically a streaky shooter though to to an yeah. extent right like ricky council is a, is a streaky shooter he's much more yeah. baked inside the arc than he is outside of it so When we talk about Nick Smith and and everything that he might do when or when he doesn't get two feet in the paint, he's also really not being asked to be that kind of player, though. They kind of need him on the outside, do, do they not, to take advantage of the spacing that he provides? They need him to be that catch and shoot guy for when Anthony Black does break down the defense, when he gets an opportunity to get one of those driving lanes and then he has to kick it out. Anthony Black needs somebody to kick it out right oh boy oh boy Maxwell's got to do daddy duties (laughs) no worries but yeah with with Nick Smith like he's kind of forced to be on the perimeter and they need him to be able to take advantage of those opportunities when he gets the ball and he's able to catch and shoot knock it down they don't always need him being the guy to put all the pressure on the rim they have counsel to do that they have uh, Anthony Black to be able to do that. When, when Jordan Walsh has it going for, for better or worse, sometimes he has it going, sometimes he doesn't. He's certainly been inconsistent this year, but he's another guy they want to have cutting. They want to get him involved in some post-up actions. They want him being able to score around the basket. So I think Nick Smith, for for all that we talk about, the the at-rim stuff, the rebounding, some of those issues, I definitely think that Nick Smith's role on this Arkansas team should be taken with a grain of salt and put into better context that that's really what i would say about that but overall we can talk about the outside shooting we can talk about the passing mm-hmm. i actually came away pleasantly surprised with some of the defense as well he wasn't perfect on that side of the ball but defensively i think on the ball i think he sits in a good stance i think he can certainly move his feet he can keep up with guys on the perimeter I think more of his defensive shortcomings, and it can even come back to some of the finishing inside. I think it might be body-related. He's, he's a I, big guard. He's frail. He needs to put on muscle. He needs to put on a little bulk, a little weight. But I think when we look at him as an on-ball defender at the point of attack, so what I think he could be potentially, when we look at his shooting ability, his ability to score from certainly those two levels, that mid-range, that pull-up, that floater when he gets two feet in the paint, the catch-and-shoot three-point, his ability to hit three-point shots off the dribble, which you and I would believe, I think eventually we will get there for him. We start piecing together this really interesting type of guard who you can throw some comparisons in there to somebody like a Bradley Beal if he hits like his absolute upside. And to me,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's a valuable player to make a bet on. Now, obviously, I'm not making a bet on him over, any, any number of Victor scoot, both the Thompson twins. I I'm still holding on to some of the cam Whitmore stock and you're not going to talk about him a little bit later in this show, but when we put him in a conversation with guys like Brandon Miller, with guys like case Wallace and Jairus Walker and, and Keontae George, like I think Nick Smith is firmly in that conversation, regardless of what else we're going to see. This year, mm-hmm. whether he plays more games and whether he doesn't. And, and the, the last line before I kind of let you finish off any other thoughts on, on Nick Smith, I put this in my column. Sometimes making the bet on that player, if the tape checks out is worth it. Just ask the Cleveland Cavaliers if they're happy with the Darius Garland pick a few drafts ago. And that's, yeah. That, that yeah. Thought is really what inspired me to write the column in the first place, because I believe in what I saw on the high school tape I initially when I first started watching him Maxwell I wasn't enthused but I dug in more and more and I realized like this guy could be an absolutely lethal shooter from the outside if more of that passing touch comes along mm-hmm. if the defense comes along like this guy is going to be a legit one or two projected more as like a combo guard in the NBA for years to come mm-hmm. more than that like Bradley Beal mold I'm trusting that regardless of whether he plays three games five games ten games if this three game sample size is all we get i'm buying on what i saw prior and not just putting everything into the fact that he didn't get enough opportunities this year and i'm gonna make that darius garland type of bet on nick smith and i'm still gonna have him inside my top 10 and i don't know how you still feel about his ranking on your board but that's kind of where i'm at
1: yeah yeah he was i believe he was at six on my board before he got hurt it's hard to see like Even if he doesn't play again the rest of the year, it's like hard for me to see moving him too much one way or the other. Um, To be quite honest, like I just haven't been overly enthused with a lot of other guys in that same range. Um, I don't see a lot of like gigantic upside in a lot of people in that part of the draft. So for me, it's like I still kind of see it in Smith because the finishing to me was encouraging honestly I'm kind of with you as far as the defense and I do I'm always a firm believer in like everybody gets bigger everybody gets stronger I think especially if he's going to be covering ones like I'm not that worried about it in yep. the long term like if he for some reason needs to be a two long term and eh, maybe that's a, a little trickier but um, yeah I, I, I like to me the flaws just aren't that severe and he still offers a lot of other really good stuff that I think the floor is honestly kind of safe on him and like when you're betting in that range, like he's one of the few guys that has, I feel like a, a solid stable floor um, combined with like some real shot at good upside because I believe in the playmaking as much as I do. So let me ask you a question. If you're if you're yeah. the, the, the
0: San Antonio Spurs, if yeah, you're yeah. The, the Orlando Magic, if you're the Toronto Raptors, isn't the type of guard you're probably looking at more in the mold of like a Nick Smith? Right. If you're not at that number two pick and you don't have the chance to bring in a true more of a true point like a Scoot Henderson and you're drafting in the need for like a combo guard, there there's there's these guys like like Nick Smith we can talk about, the Case and Wallace, the Keontae Georges, like aren't you kind of looking more in Nick Smith's direction as mm-hmm. maybe we're a team like Orlando that has these jumbo initiators and all we kind of need is a guard who can set up catch and shoot, knock everything down, be be like a tertiary creator from the perimeter. Like, are you more comfortable looking in, in his direction? And that's kind of where I went with where I'm trying to rank him on my board, mm-hmm. just in not, maybe not in relation to some of these other wings and forwards that you and I might want to make a bet on over. Yeah, a guard. Yeah. But in relation to the guards, that's kind of where my line of thinking is. Whereas I don't think Nick Smith needs the ball in his hands all the time to be effective. I, even though I went back and, I move Nick Smith closer on my board to where Keontae George is because we had that fun conversation in our No Sillings group chat and I kind of saw where Corey and some of the other guys were were going with it. Keontae, the more I'm seeing it, the more I think he does need the ball in his hands. You you, you need to let Keontae cook. I'm not sure that I'm projecting him in the same type of off-ball role that I could project Nick Smith as. And that's really because with Keontae, I'm not buying all the same off-ball shooting stuff. That, that I would with like a Nick Smith. I'm, okay. I'm just not buying his shooting stroke as much. And that's, I kind of felt that way before the year started. And then those first few games came in, he got really hot. And now we've seen over a much larger sample size as the year has gone on. That outside shot has really been streaky, 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 man. But yeah. he's had some really good pull-up stuff, right? When, when he's been able to go either direction inside the arc, he's been getting to the free throw line. He's been able to... Finish some through contact. Like he's been a better two point scorer than I think I probably would have projected him as early on. I thought he was much, much, much more perimeter oriented, like a three point gunner. He's kind of showed me the opposite as he's been at Baylor. And I think he's actually been a really, really fun, tough shot maker inside the arc with Nick Smith. I can project him in my opinion, to be a clear off ball guy. I don't think he needs the ball in his hands all the time. He's got to set everything up, dribble, 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 let him cook. And so I would much rather if I'm looking for a guard towards the top of the draft, other than Scoot Henderson, obviously. Maybe I'm leaning more in the direction of somebody like a Nick Smith and some of those other guards. Yeah. And that's just that's just kind of where I'm at to, to wrap yeah. up. Yeah, I'm
1: a, I'm in a similar place. To me, though, like Smith is like a pretty clear cut above like the other guards. Like I, I think if you buy like the playmaking upside at all, the like everything else is there. Like. I don't think he's ever going to make an all-world defender, but, like, I don't love Keontae defensively. Kaysen is very good defensively, but, like, just is not, like, a real pick-and-roll scorer. He's just very complimentary on offense, which is fine, like, for the range that I think he's projected to go in at this yep. point. Um, and then, like, yeah, I just don't... <laughs> I always feel so bad saying this. Like, I just don't trust Keontae to the same extent that I trust Nick Smith. Like, I feel like I Nick Smith just takes better care of the ball. Um, so... That's kind of where I'm at. I, I think he's got a little bit more upside and he's a little bit more natural of a playmaker and lead guard.
0: Where where are you at? Like, just like a quick temperature check with Case and Wallace nowadays. Like, where? Because I, in yeah. person, I was at the Garden. I probably you saw- You were down on worst... him when
1: I was like the most into him that I've been.
0: Yes, but I also saw what's been his worst game of the year in college at Madison Square mm-hmm. Garden in person. And yet- I still come away intrigued by his skill set every night because he, he has everything you want from an NBA guard, from a yeah. skill perspective, from a defensive perspective. He has all of the ingredients to be a freaking awesome complimentary piece. We just don't see him more often than not be like that, that top option that I think we want him to be but this Kentucky team has also been really bad. Like I am, I'm not a fan. Yeah. <laughs> we talk about with Kentucky, with Duke and Villanova, like some of these teams are just really freaking bad. At yeah. Not yeah. giving these prospects or doing them any favors to be able to succeed and show what they might be able to do early on at the next level. So like we talk about like the, the Kentucky thing with guards, Mm-hmm. that might be coming out tenfold with case and wallace, but it's and we also and like
1: the NBA, why this entire Kentucky situation was so predictable because like every year, <laughs> like, well, no, you like, you have to, you have to give some extra credit to the Kentucky guards because their offense is always so bad. Like the, uh, the, the coaching and playing the offense, it's just so bad that you have to give them extra credit. And it's like, oh man, the Kentucky offense is brutal this year. It's like, yeah, this is what happens every year. Uh, but I, he yeah, doesn't with, have
0: anybody to bail him out. He's got what Oscar sheep down
1: low for, for a post-up so, if he or, can actually he make can the give entry pass. To, like that's it. It's that, or it's give it to severe Wheeler to dribble 17 times. Uh, those are, those are your two options. Like and and, late clock, and Antonio
0: Reeves has been bad. Like this, this Had, is not,
1: it's, that it's, one bums me out. It's, it's like, a, he, he was an Illinois state guy. So yeah, I, you know, th- that's what he gets <laughs> for not letting me see him at Redbird arena this season and transferring out. Uh, But yeah, the Antonio Reese thing is a bummer. Uh, But yeah, I think that with Kaysen, I am like late lottery, maybe just behind that. I think like realistically, if you put a gun to my head, like if I draft, if I put him 15th on a board, like he's going to be better than that many players in the draft. But it just like upside wise, I, I don't want to say he's not like, he's not an unexciting player. Like the defense is wildly exciting. Like he is a special, special defensive player. He can shoot off the catch. Um, I just really, I think he's like a good decision maker. Like he doesn't do dumb stuff with the ball at all. Very good at the simple stuff. There's just not much beyond that at all. Um, and he's not like a, a real threat. Isn't off the dribble score. Like he does it efficiently, but it's not like, Oh God, if I go under the screen, like case and Wallace is going to light me up from three. Like he doesn't have that same type of like, gusto is, it, is no it it's score
0: it's funny you're not you're not 100 afraid of him getting to his spots like you don't you don't think he has the type of burst to to get to a spot in a certain situation but the funny thing about Case though is that when he's there when he is in that spot he has the floater touch to be able to knock something down he can finish around the basket. He can get to a pull-up shot. He can hit the three-point shot. He's actually been really effective. I think he's been like fifty percent from three-point range over a certain like X number of games. Like he's been a much better shooter outside of a few stinkers than I think we mm-hmm. might give him credit for. But it, he, yeah, he's just he—he's not pronounced in his offensive game. I guess is what we will say. Like he can put up like sixteen to eighteen points in a game, and it will be some of the quietest sixteen to eighteen you've seen from mm-hmm. any of these like top shelf top 15 top 20 prospects
1: yeah like the only game where it was like oh man like case and wallace is cooking on offense was against like it was florida A M was like the one game where it was like oh man like he really did some stuff off the dribble like that's like the one game where he did that and it's florida A&M. so it's hard to get too excited about it um when like that's the case because like every other game is just very like it, it's it's just coming through the flow of the offense which like again like this is why he's going to be a great complimentary player, but. That's enough, Case and Wallace <laughs> stuff.
0: So it sounds like it sounds like our rankings are probably the same right now. I would I would have Scoot, Nick Smith, Keontae George, Case and Wallace in that order.
1: I'm like so. I the Keontae people are gonna kill me. I I oh still boy. might have Case ahead of Keontae.
0: Oh boy. Oh I. I, I don't blame you for that because my, my last thought that I was going to say was I am leaving the door open for case and Wallace to be the second guard for me in this draft behind Scoot Henderson. I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm leaving that door open just because of how yeah. freaking awesome the defense is.
1: I think the role, like the role potential is probably smaller, but it's just easier for me to picture case and Wallace on a really great team right now. Yes. And right. that's ultimately kind of how I view things. So,
0: I I had to get your your bigger picture take on the guards. You you and I just haven't talked on camera for a while. No, it's It's, been too long. It's been a minute. And through text,
1: it's never never as thorough.
0: (laughs) We just just had to get some thoughts out of the way. All right, so Mm -hmm. the floor is going to be yours for this next player, Maxwell, even though I've waxed poetic about him in a little Mm -hmm. bit of writing, but not nearly as many words as what you put together in one of your latest prospect overviews, which is titled, You Have to Deal with Noah Clowney which is one of the most perfect titles ever because it's almost like draft Twitter has been focused on what some of these other big men have been doing, right? Like, like Mm -hmm. where, where's Derek lively right now? Where's color we're even seeing this, this massive swell of of Donovan Klingon buzz, which I'm going to address on podcast episodes later in this week on, on the no ceilings NBA front. But we're not really throwing Noah Clowney into that conversation as much in certain draft circles, and I feel like you kind of, sort of have to. Even though I would peg him more as a forward by positional classification, he's much more of a four-five. Yeah. yeah, he would yeah, be yeah. like a four-three. So I'm putting him in this conversation, and he very well could be the best "quote-unquote" big man in this class outside of the 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 obvious Mister Victor Wemanyama. Like I think there's an absolute real chance that that happens. He's drafted in the lottery ahead of some of these other names that we could throw out there. And it's almost as if no one's really talking about it, but you found him really interesting when Alabama season was first kicking off and we talked about 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 it, you Steven and I in the group chat. And I kind of said, I I kind of brushed it off and not not to like throw shade on you, but I brushed it off. I was like, yeah, but I think Clowney might be like a next year guy.
1: Right. Yeah. Which I kind of did too like because I, I wrote about him like my first column of the year and it's basically like this is a, a down-of-the-road name to keep an eye like even like being optimistic in like saying i liked the guy was very like later later right.
0: right but now he started to put together some performances where you're you're looking at his numbers and you're going oh crap this guy's legit right like the shooting sample size even though it's not a ton He's still knocking down 31% right now from three-point range on three attempts per game. So that's really interesting for a stretch forward. He's a really efficient two-point finisher. He finally dipped below the 70% mark. Like for weeks, you and I were Mm -hmm. talking about him as like a 72% on twos. Now he's at like 68.6. He's still blocking 1.3 shots per game, 9.6 points per game, 8.5 rebounds, and 18.9 PER for a freshman forward who we didn't know what we were getting. Right. We mm-hmm. didn't know how much Alabama was going to turn to him either. They they have multiple forward slash bigs. They have Charles He's got a lot of guys. Yeah, Pediaco yeah, B- was supposed to be the main guy in that front quarter. We we're supposed to like take mm-hmm. this big step forward. We're going to be talking about him in the draft. Yet here comes Noah Clowney, this super fascinating six foot ten forward who moves like a wing out there, who can cover a lot of ground on defense, who can block shots, who can hit. Perimeter shots who finishes effectively in certain role situations. And you start to put this full package together. I know you're gonna break down your column and podcast form. I want you to because you you took a really fascinating writing angle that I wasn't expecting it you <laughs> always do. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Why should people be having to quote unquote deal with Noah Clowney?
1: Yeah, because he's he's here and he's like not going away. Like it's <laughs> just one of those things where like I think a lot of times early on in the year, like guys guys start hot guys start hot every single year and then at a certain point it's like oh well that was that like we'll we'll see we'll see you next year pal and like with no it like the opposite has happened like he started yep. and it was like oh like this is kind of intriguing and then he hung 22 on south dakota state it was like a solid mid-major program and ever since then like the foot has not come off the gas like it has just been series of like good game all right oh no clowny. like another good one today and like even the games that aren't blow away it's just yeah he did took care of business out there like did exactly what you would want him to do yeah like uh i don't know if you had a chance to watch the alabama kentucky game yesterday (laughs) uh if you want to call it a game uh that was was something it was a shellacking uh but like in that game like you just did what did what you wanted him to do like low maintenance uh it was a betty Akko game because they were just gonna light up oscar shibway with pick and roll uh so he took more of a back seat. scored eight eight points on five shots like noah Clowney is here he is in the conversation and as long as he's producing like this um with his movement and size and athleticism like he's the guy that nba teams are gonna be interested in um, so whether or not you're interested in him is a question that every like pundit and scout like needs to start asking themselves because he's gonna be a factor in this draft and i'd I'd be stunned like if he doesn't at least put his name in, even if things really tail off like he's in the conversation he's firmly in the mix
0: so over the course of we're looking at now a little bit over a month yeah. in every game that he's i will say that he's attempted a three because he did not attempt a three in the Memphis game, but in mm-hmm. every game that he's attempted a three since december 3rd he's knocked at least one down Mm -hmm. that's that's impressive to me right some guy who we didn't expect him to be able to showcase this level of shooting touch this early on we're seeing it we're seeing all these fascinating different pieces about his game you you hit on a bunch of different things in your column max yeah really the the thing that we need to talk about the most to me is not necessarily the the inside scoring the outside shooting but you touched on a few things that I want you to go into detail with, particularly the the defense and then some of the passing flashes that we're starting to see yeah. with, with with some of the full-court ball handling as well. It's getting, getting pretty intriguing to my eye.
1: For sure. So, yeah. So, let's start with the defense because I think that's, like, potentially the most interesting thing. That's a selling it. point to me, yeah. in my opinion. Um. So, it's, it's not, like, fully fleshed out. And that's going to be the case with a lot of big men with with clowney it's important to remember this is also like sort of a gigi jackson situation where like he mm-hmm. is way younger than most of his peers like he is very young for for his grade so he could easily be a high school senior right now um the basic rim protection instincts are good like he's an attentive defender he doesn't get caught napping off of the ball um which is good cuz a lot of times he has to play at the 4 like we talked yep. like he's out there with Bettyako a lot um another time too like they play note uh Nick Pringle, who six nine was like a really great Juco player last year, and just like a nice complimentary player, like one of those guys that like if you're watching as many games as we do, it's like, yeah, that guy's not like a pro, but like boy, do I like watching him play basketball um <laughs> so he's he's out there with just like other good bigs a lot of times, so like his minutes at the five aren't massive, but um he knows he knows what he's doing and He's very quick to spring into action when he sees stuff. So like he'll see a cut, he'll get into position, he'll meet a guy at the rim. Um he'll bite on fakes a little too much, which is common for like every like six, eight and above eighteen-year-old basketball player. Like it's not something I'm willing to kill him over. Um but I think the two things that are most interesting with Clowney are i I I'd really say the number one thing is just his ability to cover ground. Um so the first thing that stuck out is I went through the film was how many of his block shots came in transition. Like if there is a steal or if uh, there's a long rebound that the other team grabs and gets down the court, he hauls ass down the floor. Like he he runs so hard to get back on defense and just like the rim to rim energy that he plays with is hard. Like a lot of big guys, like that's the number one knock you hear on him is like, Oh, like this guy's late. Like you're like every big, guy prospect gets called lazy because they don't sprint up and down the floor every single play uh but Clowney does like clowny Clowney plays like a super high level of effort so he runs really hard to get back on defense which coaches will love uh which again those things matter um they help gain trust they help get you minutes getting minutes helps teams just keep giving you a chance um and then the other area where the covering ground helps is on the perimeter um, So there's one play that I clipped from the, Mem- I believe it was from the Houston game where he gets so lost defensively. Um, There's a ghost screen that gets set by Jairus Walker and he hedges on like the, the other side of it. So like he is so far out of position when, by the time that Jairus goes to the screen that like he's just got a sprint and they end up doing kind of like an X out situation where someone goes to rotate to Jairus. So he's got to go to that guy's man. And the ball ends up. So Jairus gets the ball and then kicks it to Arsenal in the corner and Clowney literally sprints like halfway across the floor. Like he is opposite on the opposite elbow extended basically at the start of this play and gets
0: a damn hand and on that. gets shot. a
1: block on the opposite corner after like two pretty quick passes. Like the skips here were quick. Like it wasn't like, Oh, this guy threw a lazy pass or like it's like kind of a looping pass and he's able to recover. Like, he really covers a ton of ground really quickly so like even when he does have these lapses that are going to be pretty common among a young player or a team like in this case with houston just run, runs like a really nice like go screen really nice clever offensive set like the motor and, a, and physical tools allow him to get back into plays even if something happens where he takes himself out of them
0: 100 percent, and it's something that we try to talk about a lot with big men is the aspect of Mobility, right? We we want these guys mobile enough to be able to cover a certain amount of ground, right? If they're not going to be this deep drop, deep drop coverage big, who defenses are scheming to funnel opposing players into constantly, like a Walker Kessler or a Rudy Gobert, or throw, throw X big man out there who who would traditionally be that deep drop type of big, a Brooke Lopez. If you're not that type of big man, you need to have some switchability in your game, which Noah Clowney checks that box. You need to be able to cover ground. You need to be able to contest shots from all different positions on the floor. The way that he moves, the way that he runs Maxwell, when, when, you, when you pointed out that play and when I go back and I watch that clip and he gets that block, you know who that reminds me of? And I'm not. Comp- I'm not making. Okay. This direct comparison. I'm
1: intrigued. I'm intrigued. I don't that, want to That's guess. that's okay.
0: that Evan Mobley type of shit that everybody loved. Yeah, he yeah, was coming yeah. out of the draft. That ability mm-hmm. to he just runs the floor like a freaking wing, and he's able to make mm-hmm. that type of recovery and get a hand on the ball. That's the type of stuff that Mobley did in college, where everyone's like, he could be this transcendent type of defensive big man to where we cannot let him fall out of the top three. Now their their offensive games are. are I won't. I think worlds apart is, is, is a little harsh to my man, Noah Clowney, but certainly they're not, yeah, they're not close. Yeah. They're, they're, not close, yeah, like they're, I, they're, they're not close yeah. right now. So, and I, and
1: I would say the other thing that like Mobley was a lot better at was just like staying in front when switched on to smaller guys, yeah. like Clowney can do it, but it's just not consistent yet. Like sometimes he's a little too upright. Um, Other times, like, he play like I call it like playing hunchy, <laughs> like he doesn't have bend in his knees. He's just kind of like leaning forward a little bit. And like a lot of big guys are guilty of that. And like, that's how they end up getting beat. And like Mobley was way better about just like getting into a stance and not letting guys buy.
0: Him. Right. Right. And, and yeah, Mobley sits in a stance better than clown. It's not just like, it's not the one-on-one type of stuff, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's the ground coverage. It's the oh, ability sure, yeah. to be able to do it if he's called upon. Mm-hmm. And then when guys do challenge him in the basket, man, he's stronger than you think. Right. Like he's, yeah, listed, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's listed what, 6'10, 210 pounds. He plays mm. much stronger than that, though. For a guy who's as young as he is, like you pointed out.
1: Yeah. Like he. He fouls, like, a a good amount, but, like, a lot of, like, young, fresh, and big... So would a lot of other 6'10
0: lanky forwards who are getting challenged by older college players. Yeah, It's
1: usually, like, those type of guys that, like, you look up, like, how many times they foul per 40 minutes, and it's, like, six and a half, or, like, (laughs) someone's, like, wild number. Like, with Clowney, it's 4.1. Like, it's, like, okay, yeah, he's fouling out there, but it's not, like, oh, like, he just can't help himself. Like, guys bump into him, and he caves his chest, and his arms come down, and he gets called for it. Like, he's... He's ahead of schedule in that sense. Right. like he's not he's not weak with how he plays defensively.
0: So like you would want you want any big man to sit around like three fouls, right? Like that's mm-hmm. probably yep. like that that's a reasonable I'm gonna work with. So if you just look through the box scores, I can count out four games, four games out of fourteen where he had four more fouls, right? Mm. So that's for for a freshman who again we didn't expect him to be getting the type of playing yeah. time that he is right now, that's that's pretty freaking good. And you just mm-hmm. put together all the different things that lead to the upside. You, you you commented in your column, you really think he could be this modern type of big man that everybody's looking for
1: mm-hmm. in the
0: NBA. Does he need, do you think he's going to be one of these guys who needs a center next to him full time in his career, not just like early on? Do you think eventually he becomes more of like a five man? Do you think he's going to be one of these yeah. more modern? We like we like you You've even talked about it on this podcast. One of these more modern, bigger fours right? That that then NBA teams are now starting to buy into. Is that really what he is
1: in the NBA? He really needs to shoot it. If he's going to be that, like, I think the idealized version of Noah Clowney is a five. Like, I think ideally hope that like, because he's so young and he's already pretty strong that like the frame fills out and you can run him as your five. Um, because I think like right now the ball skills just aren't there. Um, Like the ball gets knocked out of his hands a lot. Like that's like the number one cause of his turnovers. To like one to two assist to turnover ratio right now, and like that's how he loses the ball. So like if he is going to be a five, like he needs to get stronger with the ball. Um, But also like that gets that happens to him on the perimeter quite a bit as well, and like that's a little bit more disastrous. Just like a worse live ball turnover situation when that happens at the three point line versus when it happens under your basket. Um, And like yeah, like he he's fine if he's attacking in a straight line, but he doesn't have like a ton of dribble craft. Like he'll grab and go on occasion and things like that, but he's not a guy who can really like break somebody down off the dribble or do anything like interesting at all to get his own look at this stage. Um So to me, like the most interesting version of Noah Clowney is a five. I think he like kind of has to be a four out of the gate. Um So like, that's like the scary thing to me is like if the shot regresses,
0: is he going to be almost, able to get the playing time?
1: Yeah. Like yeah. then what? Like, cause cause he's a really efficient finisher right now, but like the volume on it, isn't crazy. And it's mostly off of like cuts. Like yep. it's a lot of just like, Oh, I see an opening. I'm cutting, I'm cutting hard. If you get me the ball, like anywhere inside the elbow, I can take off from really far away. Go up with throw."
0: He's been a good role, man. though. he's in the yeah, 73rd yeah, yeah. percentile and yep. roll finishes. Yeah. So, so he can do pick and yeah. roll.
1: He can cut like, it's really basic stuff. Um, for the most part. Um, I think with Isn't that Clowney. what he's gonna
0: be in the NBA though, anyways? He's gonna be like a play finisher. Like how, how yeah. creative are you expecting like play finisher, whether that's on on rolls, on cuts, yeah, 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 on yeah. transition dunks, on open jump shots, open spot ups. Like that's what he's mm-hmm. gonna be though,
1: right? For sure. I just think that is a four is a lot less exciting. Like if you just like go through that's like fair. team by team and look at who plays the four on like good teams, they're usually guys that have a little bit more juice to that. Like yeah, they they if they, it's, they like got, Denver, they it's like Denver, it's like Aaron yep. Gordon. It's like, okay, like Jaron Jackson like he's again like a guy who's like really turnover prone but just like elite movement shooter to like a degree that I don't see Noah Clowney being like Zion Williamson can put it on the floor um Dallas like their their fours are more like play finisher types but even like I I don't know like a guy like Christian Wood he would like can play a lot of minutes there like has some creative juice Maxi Kleber uh uh, yeah I mean like him and Powell are both kind of straightforward so like there's there's teams where he can get away with it but i think in a lot of situations if he's going to be a four like he would it would benefit him a lot more to be to have those ball skills if you're like hoping that he's a starter
0: i would agree i would agree with you 100 percent. i definitely think the more interesting outcome for him is as a five as Mm -hmm. long as he's going to hold up as one so i mean to, to kind of close out the cloudy conversation maxwell like we've we've put together a pretty interesting group of details on one player Mm -hmm. to where you start to think about draft stock and you start to think about where would you take a swing on this type of player? Like if he hits his ultimate upside, which would be one of these really unique, I can finish any type of play five men who can also protect the rim, switch out on the perimeter, cover ground. That's an incredibly valuable player to have in today's mm-hmm. NBA and that to me would warrant like a top twenty pick. But you might look at his yeah. numbers and you might look at his production and where he's at right now and you might not think that's worth a top twenty pick. You might not even think that's worth a first round pick. Like I mm-hmm. I it wouldn't shock me if people told me that Noah Clowney's like fortieth or forty fifth on their boards. Like that that wouldn't shock me. But I think with a player like Clowney, the reason why you would take him maybe a little earlier than people would expect not to get into the whole pre draft conversation, but like you would expect that that player by next year and then the year after is returning value much closer to like a top 10, top 15 pick than you would be in a pick in like the thirties or the forties. Like, are you kind Mm -hmm. of in that same boat? Like maybe you don't love ranking him as high as you might be, but better to take that player and and get him in your developmental
1: system than trying to wait and gamble and watch him walk somewhere else yeah i think like 15 on is like my like kind of range for him <laughs> like i i wouldn't take him it's really just... not that crazy man it's really yeah not... yeah yeah because i think with him like just in general like the basketball is getting so good that like if i don't feel like you have like some level of like ball skills i think it's really hard for me to like take you lottery because even a guy like Gigi jackson like people want to gripe with the passing but it's like, have you seen the guy put the ball on the floor? Like, it's uncanny for a man his size. Like, if Clowney had something like that, like, if Clowney had, like, a nasty handle, at least, or something like that, I, I'd be a little bit more excited. Um, The passing's just not that consistent. So like, even at his age, I'm still just a little leery of going, like, that far into the pool with him. Um, But I think beyond that, especially, like, if I'm a rebuilding team that has, like, multiple first-round picks or something yep. like that, and I can be like, let's just stick him in the G League for a year. And if I've got a good G League head coach, like, that's a great situation. Or if I'm a team like the Clippers and I'm a team where I know like, Hey, we've got a lot of good, like organizational infrastructure. And our move has just been like, we take the upside guys and then we package them and trade them. Like that could be an interesting move for a team too. Could like, you
0: imagine the Clippers eventual possible front court of like him and the Diabate? How freaking fun! <laughs> yeah, yeah. would that be? Like that's, th- th- that's the type of move that, yeah, a, a team mm-hmm. like the Clippers could absolutely take. I could see a playoff team taking a chance on him, right? Like they have positions certainly filled out and a team with multiple first round picks that he talked about. Like I could see Indiana, despite Indiana having a few big men, we don't know how many of those big men are still going to be there. We would expect Miles Turner's mm-hmm. probably on his way out, given the news that we heard over this past weekend. There are a number of clubs who I could see taking a swing on Clowney in the first round, right? We've seen... Maybe Brooklyn might take a swing on him. They've already had a really nice developmental prospect in Nick Claxton, who we're seeing him turn out like an all defensive type of upside, right? All defensive team. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're a team that, oh, we've kind of walked this blueprint a little bit before. Now we're getting a guy who maybe he can also do some of the things that Nick Claxton can do while actually being a plus contributor offensively. Maybe that's the type of guy we want to bring into our developmental system. They're they're the Memphis, the Memphis Grizzlies. They love freaking taking on players like a yep. like like a Noah Clowney type. Like they, yeah, there there are multiple different avenues to where he could end up being drafted in the first round. So I don't I don't feel bad about ranking him there at all. To me, he's a top twenty five guy, and I don't see that changing particularly in the near future. So that was our conversation around what we wrote about. This past week, we could dig into a little bit about what happened much more recently, aka on Saturday, Maxwell. There were a number of awesome prospect games that took place. I, I texted the group chat.
1: Oh, so name, ridiculous! Yeah. Name a
0: day that I can that you can remember in recent memory where we've had like this many prospects go off mm-hmm. in, in the same day. So we thought yeah. it would be fun to you and I can each take one, maybe two. I'm definitely going to cheat. I'm definitely going to talk. Okay. About two but if you want to take a few, go ahead, but at least one yeah. prospect performance that you wanted to highlight from this weekend and go, all right, now it's time to key back in on somebody who we may not have been paying attention as much to, or there might've been a little bit negative buzz about his game. Who, who, in your opinion, do we yeah. need to start buying back in on?
1: Cam went more. Um, because I, and like, this is like on me because like in my same, like <laughs> Noah Clowney column, like I felt like I was like really hard on him and a Thompson and like, I like i meant what i said i'll stick by it like i uh but yeah i think cam has been like inconsistent out of the gate but this was the first game where it felt like oh he's moving like cam Whitmore. the game against Xavier, like he, he was doing way better laterally in terms of just like immediate on ball like reaction time and just like sticking with guys too like walling off staying in front of players like colby jones and things like that um his like mismatchability, like getting like nunji on him, and then just like burning him and getting to the basket, showing off speed with his cutting. Like it looked like what I expected Cam Whitmore to look like before we knew that he was dealing with an injury. Um, that first step quickness is back. That second step bounces back. Um, he was just so active and engaged as a cutter again. Uh, but defensively was like the biggest thing where it was like oh no like is he just actually a slow defender or is it still like injury what is it like i, I wrote in my column about how like he fell down a bunch of times in that game last weekend and like, he's, the commentators still, were... he's still he's still
0: kind of clumsy dude like he's yeah it's still, weird it's even weird. on some of his finishes he's like flying like halfway across the court on some of his layups and i'm like dude h- how's even happening? i it's i have odd. something i wanted to ask you about that because yeah. you're you're much more of a body guy okay yeah yeah. i am because yeah. you've gone you've actually gone through your own physical transformation yeah. um he just seems incredibly <laughs> incredibly top heavy how <laughs> yeah. how do you how do you fix that how do you honestly I go about don't...
1: fixing something like that it's it's hard so this is like to get into my own like body i guess like i so like everyone like i've always said like everyone can get stronger but like people do have like genetic predispositions for like where they put on size and like the example i always use is marvin williams like marvin williams is like this big like beanpole kid and everyone's like oh like when he bulks up forever and then like it was just all on his legs like he got bigger and it's just like oh no marvin williams is like a groundbound guy now that he's cam bigger. whitmore
0: looks like if he eats a steak it's going straight to his chest and there's yeah 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 do so
1: it. like yeah so like for my like personal body type like i'm obviously not the athlete that cam whitmore is sure but, like i have like a fairly similar like predisposition like it's really easy for me to put on size and like my chest and back and like my limbs extremely difficult like takes a lot of like I have to do like a lot of extra leg work and a lot of extra arm work to like look proportionate even out yeah 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 yeah. so like it is possible you just have to like really focus on it and like be deliberate about it and be aware of it it's like it's it's doable because um, cause i just I, I don't attention.
0: think he's i don't think he's too slow-footed i actually think yeah. his feet are fine i think mm-hmm. it's more so he's just trying to not move incorrectly to where he's falling down or, or he's like <laughs> off balance <and> he <laughs> yeah can't like yeah, bring yeah. himself back up and it's really fascinating to watch
1: mm-hmm. and i and i didn't get to see like a ton of him when he was like young young so i wonder like he, was he always? How did of, we like, get here? Like yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> like he's such a force, and it's like how did I can't we imagine. Get here that, like, and how can we reverse it? Yeah, well, like, and I can't imagine that there was like an eighth grader walking around that looked like that. Like, it's just all so odd to me. Like, he's just such a, a bizarre athlete in a good way. Like, he's he's he's. Crazy, but he's so but, when
0: he has it going, he's so effective. Like, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. And I thought just points. Yeah. I
1: thought he looked the most in control of his body that he's looked since he's been back in terms of yeah, just like initial on ball reaction. Um, and just movement. Like I i really loved how he moved defensively and how he cut in particular in that game. So, like obviously big scoring game, but it's one of those games like if you just go back and watch the film, like you will leave so encouraged with how yep. he looked from an athletic and movement standpoint.
0: Yep. And to to an extent, I also have a similar player who we want once upon a time, I projected him inside of the top five on my board and I had to drop him. I would still have him in like a late lottery range. But Darique Whitehead would be one of my call outs from Duke who had a standout performance against Boston college, 18 points, three rebounds, two assists, but it was really, it was the shooting. It was six of 12 from the field overall four of eight from three point range. Maxwell, he looks so much better shooting mm-hmm. from deep in that game. and And his form has been a little wonky at the start of the year, which is to be expected, right? Like his lower body was probably always going to be a little wonky coming back from a lower body injury. He looks much more on balance now. He looks much more comfortable getting to those quick pull-up shots. I'm starting to think about, do I need to have him back inside my top 10 now? Is he just a late lottery guy? And Corey and I had an interesting conversation. We were we were at the Rutgers game today. We mm-hmm. were watching Rutgers and Iowa and then Chris Murray and then and, and that whole bag, which I will talk about Chris Murray by the way in another podcast this week. I'm I'm trying trying not to 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 blow my whole load on one podcast. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I'm trying to save some of it. But we had a conversation about Derick, and he was asking me about where I had him on my board because I brought him up. I'm like he he looked pretty good yesterday. I really liked what I was seeing from a shooting perspective. And we were talking about what type of player he could possibly be at the next level and how do you value a player like Tariq? Or if he's not shooting at a high level, he's not scoring at a high level, what else is he doing for you on an NBA floor? Do you trust him to take him with that high of a pick? And it, to me, I think the shooting is, is, it's starting to come back by the numbers, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't just the yeah, first yeah, game yeah. he's had where he's starting to shoot better. But I think he's overall- He's
1: up to 36.4% from three now
0: it's coming back for him. And it's, it's not just the three point game at some of the pull-up two game. We're starting to see him get much more comfortable on drives. Yes. He's much more of a straight line driver, but Corey, Corey looked at me and he's like, so if you're ranking Tariq Whitehead inside your top 10, you must think there's some sort of outcome to where he could be like a Benedict Matherin type of player in, in the NBA. And I actually answered that question. Yes. Like The main difference between him and Matherin is uh, obviously Whitehead isn't isn't the athlete that Matherin is, but the big difference within that athleticism is Matherin can contort his body and finish at different angles around the basket that Whitehead can't do. Yeah, he's just more like wiggly
1: and less powerful.
0: Yes, Whitehead's power. He's I'm gonna I'm gonna drive to the basket. I'm gonna get up one foot or two, and I'm gonna dunk over you and through you. That that's what I want to do when I get to the basket, but. In terms of the perimeter creation stuff, the the pull-up game, the three-point shooting, I think that Whitehead can get to all the same shots outside of the paint that Matherin can get to. And I think eventually he's going to be that effective of a spot-up, off-ball type of wing. And then I know what he can do in the cutting game, the straight-line drive mm-hmm. game. I feel comfortable about Whitehead as that type of offensive player. To me, the bigger question mark, and I don't know how you feel about this with, with Whitehead, to me, the, the the defense has to get cleaned up, some, Like yeah. good lord. So we we gave AJ Griffin some crap last year on the defensive end for what he showed at Duke. Uh huh. At least AJ Griffin, I feel I feel like AJ Griffin did know more of what was going on on that end than Whitehead. Whitehead looks like at times he really just doesn't know what's going on. And now because he's starting to come back from injury. He he can't he can't move like he he needs to be able to like he yeah. he will get so lost on a screen I'll be like dude like how 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 did we get here just like said about Cam I, can't I like, how did we get yeah
1: here? I hated the AJ Griffin defensive film so much like I feel like I'm probably a little bit higher on derek just because I just despise okay. that AJ Griffin so you and I you and I, and I are flip so flop there but that's fine but either yeah. way yeah um but I get what you're saying like I don't think it's an unfair criticism. My question, maybe this is a little spicy if we're talking Dariq top 10. How would you say he compares to Max Lewis? <laughs> because Max Lewis, it, like, we're talking a lot of a lot of the same stuff. We're talking three-level scoring. Um, with Lewis, again, it's probably closer to the and end as far as being, like, a little bit more shifty versus, like, a power finisher. Um, some defensive concerns there, too. I don't think they were, like, as as blatant as like the ESPN article made him out to be where they were like he's a traffic cone basically <laughs> like they they were they killed him in that big board update uh so but so, like maybe a little more creative juice as a passer like Cory Cory asked me the same thing he's did like he? so where, oh, so he's like, great he's like so, where, so, where, you,
0: so where do you have Maxwell Lewis on your board yeah. and i'm yeah. like so so i would have i had derek 14. Then I had Max 15, and then mm-hmm. I had Bryce Senseball at 16. He's like, so you would even take him over Bryce because He knows how much I like Bryce Sensbach. Mm-hmm. I said, I think right now I still would. And, and Corey just kind of gave me a look like, all right, you might be changing your tune on that one in, in, mm-hmm. in a month. But yeah, the Max, the Max Lewis stuff, and this this podcast is going to be longer than you and I originally planned. I know, so I know. So sorry. We the Max Lewis stuff is interesting because mm-hmm. I tweeted out something before we started this podcast. I was watching. I finally got time to sit down and watch the Gonzaga game. And mm-hmm. it was the game before that, the the Santa Clara game. I think, yeah, it was Santa Clara and then it was Gonzaga. And then Pepperdine played a game yesterday. He had 30 points. It's not up on Insta yet for me to watch that one fully. So I couldn't get that one. But his, his two most recent games outside of yesterday. Finally had time to sit down and watch him. Maxwell, Max looks like he still doesn't fully understand what he's capable of on mm-hmm. a basketball court he's still
1: dominating
0: and he's still dominating he's still yep. putting up 20 plus points per game he we said this preseason when i was talking about max what did i say about a preseason i've seen him hit every single type of shot in the book mm-hmm. he can get to the pull-up jump shot he can hit the spot up threes he can get on a line drive and finish around the basket he can hit off cuts he's got this really funky post-up fadeaway game mm-hmm. that, that he likes to go to for some fadeaway away jump shots He has everything in the book that I want him to have as a scoring wing. He just still feels like he's figuring out how to approach some of those shots. What angles am I supposed to take in getting to some of these shots? When am I supposed to go to some of these? It's it's just really fascinating to watch him as a shot creator and then as a guy who's trying to pass out of some of those shots and set up other guys, especially when he's out in the break trying to make the right passes in transition – and some of the defensive stuff, he just he, he doesn't look like he fully knows what he's doing yet, but that's so mm-hmm. fascinating to me because when he does get into his pull-up shot, like he looks comfortable doing it though, man. He doesn't yeah. look out of yeah. place. So it's, it's this really weird balance. Mm-hmm. And some of you might be listening to this podcast and you're like, Nate, you just contradicted yourself. You said he looks like he doesn't know what he's doing, but yet he looks comfortable in doing what he's doing. I know, like, I don't know how to process it's bizar- it. Either. No, it's, I, it's yeah, bizarre.
1: that was like my whole thing last year was it, was it was like, this is like the smoothest guy with the ball that's this size in college <laughs> hoops. And also, like, he ch- is traveling every three seconds. It's like, well, how can he be smooth with the ball and trap? And it's like, He's a. He's also he's he's got to watch some matches. of
0: those freaking elbows, man. That then he keep, keep those keep those the elbows down, Max. Calm, are, calm down, bud.
1: Yeah, those are like killing his like turnover right Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I yeah, and if you're like, well, in like age and this and that, like read my column about him. Understand the developmental context that took place here. Like a yep. lot of this was out of his hand. He is very very young in terms of basketball years and experience and high level competition, and had like zero prep time. Like literally went from having not played five on five like basketball basically at all for a few years to then like you're playing basketball like eight games into the season you've been air dropped onto the pepperdine roster like it's he is very very young in terms of basketball years so miss me with the age criticism of max lewis
0: yeah this this race between all these wings right in mm-hmm. this lottery type range like like Jed howard like Dariq whitehead like Max Lewis, Bryce Sensabaugh. It's going to be really fascinating. It's so to fun. See I love where, it. Where where they're they're all balling out at the same time. And then mm-hmm. oh, by the way, another guard slash wing that we could throw into the mix. My my last performance I wanted to highlight. Do it, Ma- Maxwell. Your boy Jalen Hood Shafino is balling the frick out.
1: Love it over I love the it. last
0: four games. So since mm-hmm. his game, since Indiana's game against Kentucky, where he only shot eighteen percent from the field. 17 points against elon uh i think kennesaw was was 18 points iowa 21 points now today against northwestern 33 points on 70 percent from the field 71 from three-point range it's not just the fact that he's putting up points and he's being more efficient and now he's seems like outside of the iowa game he's getting more pick and roll opportunities too again it's not just it's not just the numbers being put up maxwell but i want you to comment on this too it's how he's getting the points that he is. This this pull-up shooter that I thought he could be. Dream freaking realized because that's who he's been, particularly in these last four games. I've loved every single second of mm-hmm. it. Jalen Huchifino making the comeback saying, screw you, Nate, for dropping me down to like 31 on your big boy. Yeah, screw he was you. 31
1: on mine too, yeah. We're, you
0: you got to move me back up, brother. So yeah, t- talk to me about what, what you've seen from, from Jalen on the tape.
1: I have been so happy like it just makes it brings me so much joy that like it's like our
0: son has come back home yes
1: yeah yeah like you watch the high school tape it's just like oh my gosh like this man the three-point percentages they say he can't shoot like the free throw percentage says he can't shoot but you watch this man in the mid-range and you know this man can shoot you know it's in there like you really believe like I really believed I was like at some point like this guy's gonna be an okay shooter and now it's like oh, he is taking three and a half threes (laughs) per game and he's at 43.2% of them. Like, I'm so excited between that, like the playmaking stuff, the heads up stuff, the way he's looking off these passes. He's so deceptive with it. Like everything about Jalen Hunchfino that I've wanted to see is there. I think the one concern still, and I hate to like bring us all down back to earth a little bit, zero dunks on the year still for Jalen Hunchfino and zero blocks. He still looks very average athletically out there. And that's like a big, a thing I feel like I missed. Like before the season, like I didn't think he was like a great athlete or anything, um, but he does look a little more normal. So the, ba- like the
0: back, the back stuff, stuff isn't great. That's, no, I, no, I, I never no, want to see my help. six six lead guard having back issues, like he kind of has been. So that's yeah. not great. But everything else, though, mm-hmm. e- For everything sure. else, he's he's yeah. looked absolutely fantastic, and I want to continue to watch his development. Over the course of the year, now that now that we all, see, well, I should say you and I seem to be back on Jalen Huchefino. Mm-hmm. Apparently, like Corey Rucker, like some of the guys just like never left. And I'm like, all right, like, yeah. like Rucker texted us. He's like, I might take, I might take Jalen Huchefino over Bryce Sensball. And I'm like, that that's interesting. And then Corey said the same thing. I'm like, that's also interesting. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: I don't know if I'm fully back to where I would have been, like bordering lottery preseason. Mm-hmm. But
1: yeah, he was, was lotto for me preseason.
0: He's put himself back in the first round conversation. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If he, if this is the type of pull-up scorer that he is, the type of connector piece, secondary pick and roll guy, like the, and he can play defense how he can at six, six with his length. Like this is the type of starting caliber piece that NBA teams want to invest in big time. So Mm -hmm. he has to be in in, in full consideration. The last player, Maxwell that you wanted to give a quick shout out to, because you, you don't really know what to make of him. I'm not sure that a lot of people know what to make of him. Mm -hmm. jalen pickett we want to talk about some of these performances for for penn state today i mean what what did what did he drop today he had i was trying to look up his box score (laughs) right now he had shoot why why can't i pull it up espn's not working i think it was like 26 9 and 8 or something along those lines and this dude's like almost averaging a triple double on the year 17 points eight rebounds seven assists Mm -hmm. really really funky player funky scorer
1: Funky is excellent the in it.
0: the pick and roll though scoring out of the pick and roll 96 percentile you do yeah. love to see that what, yeah what have you noticed about jalen pickett as you, you've dug into some more tape on some sleepers this week
1: he is just bizarre like he is <laughs> such a strange player that you watch him and it's one of those things where it's like at a certain point like you've got to make a production bet and like whether that's like in the draft or like probably more likely it's like a two-way or an undrafted signee given that he is a graduate player like it's weird. So if you're unfamiliar, Jalen Pickett, six, four graduate player at Penn state. Yeah. 17 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds, basically seven and a half assists. Um, averages 1.3 steals and 0.6 blocks. One of the most, just like in tune defenders that you could watch. Like you watch him guard on the ball, like really good at that, but you watch him just anytime you swing defense off the ball. Like he is exactly where you would want him to be standing at any given time. Like, if you just watch him uh, when he's weak side or anything like that, like you're never like, I wish he was like one inch further to the left or one inch further to the right. Like he knows exactly where to be really well-timed with like help digs and things like that. Um, Just really magnificent on that side of the floor. Offensively, the game is odd because ultimately like the list of guards in the NBA that can't shoot is really small. Um, And Jalen Pickett is only taking three and a half threes per game and he's making 30.6% of them. Um, That's a problem. Yeah, so his career number is 34.6, but that was boosted at Siena early in his career, and in two seasons at Penn State, uh, he is quite a bit below that. So he's around 30% this year, was 32% last year. Um, A lot of his scoring is just, like, bizarre. It is... The Colin Gillespie, I'm gonna post up a guard. It's I'm gonna penetrate out of a pick and roll, and like I'm gonna act like I'm about to do the Steve Nash and dribble around uh, uh, like around the basket. Oh, actually, just kidding. I I now have you in the post again. Like it's a lot of just like wait a minute, how did he get this guy in the post? Why is this happening? And then he he just scores on guys like he is. He just makes it happen. Exactly. Yeah, it is the most just like well he gets it done like type of game <laughs> of anybody in college basketball and yeah like he like every like if you just like look at the numbers it's like yep that's an NBA guy and then you think about it it's like he's six he's six four he can't shoot like I it's it's odd it is a a puzzling thrilling watch anytime Jalen Pickett's on a basketball court
0: he's he he I'm telling you he's gonna he's gonna have some sort of opportunity in the NBA and he's mm-hmm. I think there's a real chance that he sticks somewhere not not that like he's gonna so be like if a he major rotation piece but yeah. like. but I, I think he can because, a, a, as you highlighted, he just he just makes shit happen. Mm-hmm. B, he knows what he's doing out there. He can run a professional offense, as we talked about. He is one of the better pick-and-roll guards that we have in but, college this year.
1: But, like, what NBA teams run pick-and-roll offense through a guard that can't shoot? Other than, like, the Lakers and Hornets. Like, the Lakers run it with Ross at times, like, when he's in. And then, like, Dennis Smith is, like, not a great shooter, but, like, gets to run some stuff for the Hornets. Like right. who are the other we're, guards? We're, talk- that get we're that?
0: talking like, about like an end of bench guy, but like if, yeah, you but those are the, like
1: elite athletes like the guys that are guards that can't shoot tend to be like really high level athletes, and like Jalen Pickett isn't that.
0: He's funky. so like that's
1: yeah, and like that thing is just like what is he without the ball in his hands? But like at a certain point, like you have to look at these numbers and be like, well, somebody's got to give him a chance. Like well, some somebody's got to really give him bizarre. a chance.
0: I don't know. I, all I'm saying is, it's not impossible for him to to stick around. Is he more no, likely like it, an yeah, overseas guy? Like probably. Is it impossible though for him to be like a G League guy? Like, actually, I, I think yeah. he's. I think that's probably. If I had to bet, like where he ends up within like two three years, probably yeah, yeah, like he's, yeah. he's sticking around the G League versus mm-hmm. versus overseas. But he's 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 just a fun name to really keep an eye on because of the type of production he's put up at Penn State this mm-hmm. year. You mentioned he's had a, an interesting career going from Siena to Penn State, so. He's certainly traveled. He's taken his lumps, but he's making it all work for a team that's winning more games. I think that you and I would have probably picked Penn State to win before the mm-hmm. season. Like they're already at 11 wins or 11 and 5. And between him and, there. between him and Lundy and Funk and some of these interesting prospects that they have, um, there's a few guys down the bench like Mahefi, who I think.
1: He's. Um, Interesting. That dude defends. That dude defends. That uh, Nijé too. Their center is like really interesting and like can kind of shoot a little bit. He's got the Yannick Noza like over twitchiness thing. Like he <laughs> plays like he just like chugged eight cups of coffee before getting on the court. Um, but they're getting Carry Booth next year too, if I'm not mistaken. Like, yeah, this Penn State's building something. They're trying. I I, mm-hmm. I definitely have to make a trip out to Happy
0: Valley. Yeah. Interesting. Come for the Nick Smith and the Noah Clowney talk today <laughs> yeah. for the Penn State team breakdown, mm-hmm. but that's going to do it for this episode of Draft Eber. Certainly thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the podcast and for supporting the No Ceilings platform in general. If you are not subscribed to this podcast, I don't know what you're doing at this point. We're giving you draft content on a podcast feed Monday through Friday, No Ceilings NBA. If you're not subscribed to the Substack, stack, no Ceilings MBA.com, we're giving you written Draft content, full length draft content Monday through Friday. Come check us out. Come join us. Come party. We love to have fun talking about the draft, talking about prospects. I even do some NBA rookie coverage from time to time. I have a rookie rank coming out at some point. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to mix it up a little bit with the type of content in that rookie rank, but that's that's going to be coming out in the next few weeks. Maxwell and I, we're we're pumping out columns every single Monday and Tuesday, respectively. You're finding draft deeper on this feed every Monday. We are consistent. We're credible. We like to have fun. We're here. And I just really appreciate all the support that we keep getting on this platform. So thank you so much. But along with subscribing, please make sure rate the show, like the show, give us some reviews, give us some feedback, talk to us. We're, we're pleasant people. We love hearing from our fans, from our audience. If you have any takes you want to throw at us, just hit us up on social media. You can find me on Twitter at track deeper. You can find Maxwell on Twitter at bound boards, hit us up, talk to us, We're always tweeting. We're always doing fun stuff on social media, talking about the film we're watching, posting clips, the whole nine yards. So come hang out with us. Thank you again for showing the support you do for No Ceiling. Subscribe everywhere you can. And until we meet again on this podcast feed, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you so much.